630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Canada Day is tomorrow, usually free agency day in the National Hockey League. That will not happen. Maybe it'll be Hub City Day as uh, it appears that Edmonton and Toronto now perhaps one, two in that race. Vegas dropping back as their COVID numbers have escalated over the last couple of weeks. So we will keep an eye on that story. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. This is usually the week the Brick Invitational Hockey Tournament hits the ice at West Edmonton Mall. It was scheduled to start yesterday and go until Sunday. A great championship game last year. Uh, the Connecticut Rangers edging Team Brick Alberta in overtime. Really thrilling game. I was glad to go check that one out. So this uh, would have been right into the middle of the tournament, but unfortunately a no-go this year. So what are they planning? Craig Styles, the uh, chairman of the Brick Invitational, is going to join us. And we'll also catch up with Tanner Bozer, local UFC fighter who had another win, another payday over the weekend. It'll be good to talk with Tanner. We talked to him uh, right around the, the start of the uh, the pandemic as well because he was affected by that. But I'm pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports my good buddy, NHL insider, longtime broadcasting executive in our great country. It is the one and only John Shannon. Hey, John, how are things? Hello, Reed. How are you? Well, you know what, John? Rob Brown and I had a bit of a running joke with you. Well, Rob and I thought it was funny. I'm not sure if anybody else did. That when we would have you on pregame shows, we'd talk about the wall of monitors you have in, in, your, uh, in your viewing area so you can watch a half dozen or more NHL games at a time or other sporting events. What's on those monitors now? Are they just gathering dust? Well, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, we, I've become a, quite the movie buff. I got uh, Netflix on one, I got Amazon Prime in the other, and uh, I got Acorn TV on uh, on the third one. So I, I, I'm, and I, I, uh, I've watched enough movies with uh, with subtitles. I feel I'm at a Fellini festival. So. <laughs> am I am I uh, out of out of the loop? But if I don't even know what Acorn TV is, uh, it's just another app with British television shows on it. Oh, okay. Good, good stuff. Well, well thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for checking in tonight, John. Man, what, what, a, what an ever-evolving story. Uh, I mean, l- last Thursday it looked like the NHL wanted to be Vancouver and Vegas, and uh, they couldn't go ahead with that. And, and now some other changes here. Uh, you know, I'll go just get an update on, on what you're hearing about now Vegas and the effect that has on Edmonton and Toronto. Well, I mean, the, the latest is that uh, everything appears to be uh, Edmonton and Toronto as the two hubs. Uh, and uh, there was little doubt in my mind that they wanted to be in Toronto, or let's put it this way, they wanted to be in the eastern time zone. Uh, and then we're happy to go to the west somewhere, whether that be uh, Vegas. At one point, Los Angeles was in the mix, and obviously Edmonton. And the provincial government in Edmonton has done a magnificent job of paving the way uh, for for Edmonton to become a, a hub city, and obviously in addition to the people at the Oilers, but uh, the the provincial minister of health has been uh, uh, more than amenable to uh, what the NHL is is desiring to do, and 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 sticking to the medical side and staying out of trying to run the games. And so from that perspective, it certainly looks at this point, Reed and. Uh, someone actually told me today it's it's not changing day to day, it's changing hour to hour, but it looks like Edmonton and Toronto are the two hub cities. And wouldn't it be grand if the NHL were to announce it on Canada Day? 
Well, that would be that would be kind of neat, and it would still give us a big story on Canada Day in the, in the absence of free agency for sure. So yeah, like you said, it changes hour to hour, but that appears to be where they're at. And, and there's a lot tied into this. And then when it comes to CBA negotiations and an extension, um, like what are some of the keys there? Like what are some of the things that you sense the players are saying? Okay, like we we have to have this before we sign off the on the hubs and everything else. Okay, so so part of this, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a there, there's a lot of moving targets. It's a Rubik's cube of things, uh, including um, tomorrow, uh, where more than three hundred million dollars worth of signing bonuses were to be paid to the players. Uh, the NHL was hoping to have that deferred to a later date in the in the calendar year. Uh, which would uh, allow the, the teams a little more breathing room at this point. Uh, and you combine that with the players' desire to go to the Olympics. It appears that that's going to be uh, worked out somehow, some way. Uh, and then the, 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 the always popular escrow, uh, which that if, uh, if push came to shove right now and the games weren't played, there'd be a very good chance that the escrow could be between 35 and 40%. That's 35 or 40% holdback of salaries in order to guarantee that revenue sharing is at 50%. Um, what the new CBA would allow uh, is the escrow capped at 20% and also allow the players to defer 10% of their salaries to a later time when escrow isn't that severe. So I know that's too many numbers and too complex, uh, but at the same time, these are the things that are driving the business side of hockey and, and the relationship between the Players Association and the, and the league. And on top of that, Reed, I mean, we still haven't figured out all the rules and regs uh, when the NHL gets back to training camps uh, sometime after July the 10th. And certainly there haven't been any rules and regulations put in play for uh, the, the games that we played and how the uh, how the players would be looked after and how they would be quarantined over a period of time as those playoffs continue. Yeah, but you're right. The, the timing of everything, even though we have that July 10th date, could still could still change. And I had Eric Engels on in the first half hour of the show, John, from, from Sportsnet.ca out of Montreal, and he was able to get a lot of players to speak to him anonymously. And he said there's also the concern about next season, right, 2020, 2021, how late does that start? How late into next summer could, could that be played? Like, I know I've seen that date out there that October 5th of this year could be the last day for the Stanley Cup final. Does that mean November 15th for next season? Does that mean December no, I, 1st? Like, I think, yeah. I actually, I actually think that, uh, you know, we in our lifetime, Reed, uh, we've seen seasons start January 20th. We've seen seasons start middle of February. Um, you, you know, there, to me, I think the opportune date for the next season to start is January the 1st. Um, and, and I wouldn't even be tied to that October 5th date, just as I'm not tied to the July 10th date. I mean, there is so much happening when it comes to uh, the pandemic. There's so much happening when it comes to working all of these issues through between the league and the Players Association that uh, I think that uh, if, if we're playing hockey by the 15th of August, uh, then that's a bonus. And give us two months, just a bit more than two months to, to finish. That would get us to the middle of October, maybe October the 20th. Uh, and then we need an off season, believe it or not. Uh, right. We need free agency. Uh, we need the ability of teams to 
to look after and and, and a draft. Which we you know we had a draft lottery, but we still, we haven't had a draft yet. And we need another lottery, by the way. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we need another lottery. Yeah. Uh, so from from that perspective, I don't think there'll be any rush to go into November or December. I, I think what the NHL, in its in its most positive light, would like to go back after January the first, if not on January the first with people in the seats and that to me is the biggest key is trying to make sure that there is a paying public buying tickets and able to go to games and then, and then they would do 82 games like they wouldn't go down to 62 or anything like that well I, that that's up for grabs what it, what okay. we do know it would mean there would be no all-star game there'd be no five-day breaks which again all of these things have to be negotiated right because when you when you when you negotiate the new uh, extension to the CBA, you basically are blowing up the last two years of the current deal too, because mm-hmm. what you really want is you try you want peace for six years, so that's two years of this current deal, and then three and an option for the next deal. So you're there are so many moving things that go in place. I mean, th- th- this negotiating of all this signing bonus money is massive. Um, and and when, so when will it be paid? Is it going to be paid in in its full? Why twenty percent and not fifteen percent on the escrow? Um, and plus, there are other issues within the CBA that need to be discussed and worked out in order to try to make sure both sides are satisfied with it. And 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 the players. I mean, I, I truly believe that uh, that Gary and Bill can get the thirty one owners to buy into the CBA. Uh, it's a little thing for Don, a little tougher for Don Fear to get uh, a majority of the 800 players to buy into the CBA. Right. Okay. John Shannon joining us tonight on Inside Sports. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions because we, we we always have such great chats when we talk about broadcasting in, in your career. And we talked about the draft lottery. And I've, I, I, you know, I was talking to Bob yesterday, and even Friday night doing my show. I'm in my basement now, John, so I got to good view of a tv i have down here so i'm watching the draft lottery without sound but it's i just like the oilers weren't even in it and i still get tense and i'm watching daily flip over the like every year i think okay well you know whatever draft lottery yeah we'll cover it but then when i'm watching it i'm like oh my god this is so dramatic like it's i think it's great tv well you know what they they have found a way in doing the countdown of of teams and moving having the ability of teams to move up certain spots and and obviously get bumped down they have done a good job of creating a bit of drama uh what you and and what I liked about uh, the one thing I did like about um Friday was it wasn't an hour it was only a half hour so it wasn't drawn out with scouting reports and uh, evaluations of the top five players. It was just, you know, we're going to look at Lafreniere and then let's go and do the draw. And to me, that was, uh, that was much more effective over a short period of time. The other thing, Reed, uh, I would tell you is that we are, we are in such a drought for drama in sports. Anything was going to be exciting on <laughs> Friday night. I mean, we haven't had much excitement on a playing field or an ice surface or a court for a long time now. And we, and quite frankly, we, we, we still have question marks whether we're ever going to see it again soon. So anything that comes close to drama in sports you know, gets everybody's uh, blood boiling a little bit, and that's what Friday did. You know, Sportsnet had its biggest rated number, I think, in probably three and a half months 
on Friday with 391,000 people watching the draft lottery. So it's it's one of those things where you know you you have to try to entertain the masses and keep hockey front and center, and that's what they did Friday night. Well, on Sunday, I watched the final few holes and the playoff of the Utah Championship on the Corn Ferry Tour, and it wasn't until I was actually watching that event that I knew the Web.com Tour was now called the Corn Ferry Tour. And do you know what Corn Ferry is? <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I looked it up, but I've forgotten already. What is it? Uh, it's a head. It's a headhunter, right? It's a headhunting company. It's a okay, recruiting so- company. Oh, I got you. Well, yeah. recruiting players for the PGA Tour. They get you got to win your go. way up, obviously. There, but there's, there a, there's a tie there. Okay, the other broadcasting related question I have for you, and I have we haven't talked to you uh, since this happened. Chris Cuthbert, who yeah. was with TSN, is going yeah. to Rogers, going to Sportsnet, and he was on the show, and he said, "I'm excited about calling hockey and calling games on Saturday night." And you know, you will you will hear. I mean, look, he he's a public figure and he's a broadcaster, so there's always going to be people who maybe don't like his style or just don't like him. But in general, you there is very little negative criticism of Chris Cuthbert. What is it about Chris Cuthbert that has worked for the Canadian public for so long? Well, um, I think Chris gives you the most information in the simplest style of any broadcaster going right now. Uh, and, and and quite quite frankly, if you look at the great names of broadcasting in our country and in the United States, Chris doesn't have the, the big baritone voice. And what he compensates that with is content. And his content is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, we, we, it's become an overused phrase uh, in, in our business about being a storyteller. Well, that's what Chris is. Chris is a great storyteller. He has the ability to create drama. He understands the sport. He understands Canadian football as well, as Eskimo fans will tell you. And, um, you know, he has the great ability to create drama in a short period of time, which is what we want out of every good play-by-play guy. Yeah, well said. And his voice is on so many great moments. The the Crosby goal, you know, over sure. uh, all the, all the great cups he got. The, actually, when he came on, we played a whole bunch of Eskimos highlights because he was on. Uh, I think the the day the CFL season would have started, right? Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. played some of his, uh, you know, Fred Stamps making a catch, Darius Bowman making making catch. Is that? I mean, can a good in your mind? Can a great play by play guy do? any sport or have some guys when you hear them or if you're watching a demo tape you're hiring somebody do you think hey that guy needs to stick to this one sport but i can't see him doing baseball football basketball whatever you know it's funny you ask that because broadcasting is almost like being an athlete again and and being a young athlete we've gone to such a specialized system when you and I were growing up, Reed, obviously me before you, but we were, we were growing up, Don Chevrier could do anything. Don Whitman could do anything. Uh, guys like Cuthbert could do anything. Um, we, we don't allow, we really don't allow that to happen very often anymore. Gord Miller can do anything. Um, Rod Black can do uh, lots of different sports, but we have become such a, a specialty business now that once you're a hockey guy, you're a hockey guy. You know, I mean, I, it, it, and it's even it's it's viewer, listener, and social media viewers' expectations now. How many times? I mean, I can't tell how many times that if I say something about the CFL, 
I get told stick to hockey. And, and people don't understand and know the breadth and width of my knowledge of the CFL and how many years I worked in the CFL and how many Grey Cups I did. Uh, I get the same when I talk about the NBA. Uh, not knowing full well that I worked for the Toronto Raptors for six and a half seasons. Uh, the, the people expect specialty now. Cuthbert is part of that dying breed that can do almost anything. I mean, when, when he was at the CBC, it was, it was football, it was hockey. Uh, he actually got hired at the CBC to do baseball in Montreal before the Expos moved. Uh, he did figure skating. And that ability to do a little bit of everything was always the strength of the network broadcasters. And I'm glad you mentioned Don Whitman because we played his call of the uh, Donovan Bailey victory in night. And I remember Don Whitman doing track and field, doing sure. the CFL and doing the National Hockey League. I remember him doing all those sports. Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, and, and in those days... Um, the CBC was famous. Every city had its own CBC star. Ted Reynolds in Vancouver, you know, the, you know the great Greek Ernie Gaffiganis in Edmonton, um, you know Don in in Winnipeg, Don Chevrier in Ottawa, uh, uh, Bob McDevitt in Montreal. That's what the CBC was was famous for. It was that they had these great regional voices that could do absolute. Fred Scambatti here in Toronto, they could do absolutely anything at any time, and that was their greatest talent was their versatility. And Don Whitman did the Western Express, the lottery numbers for a while too. I don't want to keep keep you talking about this, but one of my great things was that Don used to always do playoff series. Uh, when I was producing for the CBC, including some of those great Calgary Edmonton series. And you're right, the lottery draw was Wednesday nights. And Don would pray that our series would go Tuesday, Thursday, and we'd let Don go back to Winnipeg, do the lottery numbers, fly out on the late flight Winnipeg from Winnipeg at 11 p.m. and be back in Calgary or Edmonton to do the game the next day. And that was good for Witt because he got another check, and life was good when Don Whitman got another check. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was a great one. Okay, so uh, just... To, to loop back, do you think do you think the announcement is tomorrow, or do you think we're waiting until the end of the week for Hubs? I, I, I really, it would be presumptuous of me to think that uh, the, the announcement's tomorrow. I, I just thought it was kind of cool that they're going to announce Edmonton Toronto on Canada Day. I guess that's the drama in me. But they have to do other things. They, uh, they have to have general agreement in principle on the CBA, on the protocols for, for Phase 3 and 4, uh, on the bonuses tomorrow. There has to be a lot of uh, things and uh, I's dotted, T's crossed, and the, and once they've agreed on on all of that, then they can announce the hubs. John, you're the best. Thanks for spending time with us tonight on Inside Sports. Happy Canada Day. We'll talk to you soon. Glad you're back, though, Reed. I mean, I, you, I was worried about you. I didn't thought you. I mean, you, you can't take all this vacation time all the time, can you? No, I can't. Trust me. And I'm glad <laughs> to be doing two hours again. So more time for you, John. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Anytime. That is John Shannon checking in. Uh, so, yeah, some good thoughts from John about the Hub City process, and he talked about the players and the escrow and the signing bonuses and how this all fits in. Quick timeout on Inside Sports. So the NHL is working on it. Hub cities, CBA extension, maybe future visits to the Olympics, all that kind of stuff. You just heard John Shannon on the show. He thinks it would be great from a story standpoint if it was announced tomorrow on Canada Day that Edmonton and Toronto are the hubs, but they may need a little bit more time to uh, iron everything out. Anyway, something to keep an eye on for sure. Tanner Bozer from UFC. 
Craig Styles on the Brick Invitational when we get back. John Shannon on the show. Love talking to John. Good broadcasting perspective on Chris Cuthbert, Don Whitman, and of course, talking about NHL hub cities, Edmonton and Toronto, now the favorites to land games for the NHL restart. Moving into the qualifying round, that would have the Oilers playing Chicago. No, John did say, uh, you know, maybe we don't see games until the middle of August and this July 10th training camp start. Maybe it's a little later than that. So nothing is for sure. We uh, we may not even get an announcement tomorrow because there are CBA negotiations, negotiations tied into all this. But we are slowly getting there. And whenever the Oilers do get playing again, we will bring you the games live on 630 Chet. All right. I want to catch up with Tanner Bozer, UFC fighter who's. Career is going uh, pretty well. We're going to bring Tanner onto the line right now. Tanner, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? Doing well. It's nice to talk to you again. We, we spoke a few weeks ago, and we got to know you a little bit, and your career has been going well. And uh, another victory on Saturday. Tell us how that one went down. Yeah, that one couldn't have gone any better. I uh, caught Felipe Linz about midway through round one with an overhand right kind of behind the ear. I saw he was wobbled and hurt, and I... Uh, hit him with a flurry of punches and finished him off with a, a hammer fist to him when he dropped to the mat. So uh fight went pretty much perfectly. Okay. So a, a qu- what's your record now and how many knockouts have you had like that? Uh, my record's 18, six and one, and I've had nine knockouts, I believe. Okay. So about 50, 50, whether you're knocking a guy out or going to a decision then. Yeah, a couple submissions in there, but then the rest are decisions, oh, yeah. Right, submissions too. Like, what are you thinking when there's a decision? Because we all know that judging sometimes doesn't match what the athlete thinks happened in the bout, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it depends on the fight. Some fights are close, but some you know you run away with it when you're at a decision. So definitely some you're sweating, especially when you're in Russia, because you pretty much got to kill a Russian fighting in Russia if you want to beat them by decision. But everywhere else... Sometimes the judges get it right, and sometimes you think they get it wrong. But a lot, you're, you're not 100% sure until you watch the fight back. But a lot of the times, you uh, you know, you know have a feeling whether you've won or lost the fight. How do they do the scoring in UFC? And maybe contrast that for people who you know might, might be used to how they do the boxing scoring. Okay, well, MMA scored on a 10-point must system, which means the, uh, the winner of each round gets 10 points. So if you... If the judge thinks that you won round one, you get 10 points for that round, and your opponent gets nine. If you knock your opponent down once and dominate the rest of the round or something, you might get a 10-8 round, which makes it way harder for that guy to win, even if they were to perceivably win the next couple rounds. So you can get 10-8 rounds, and even extremely rarely a 10-7 round if you maybe somehow dropped the guy like three times and didn't finish him. Very rare. But usually, uh, each round is scored 10-9, and in very rare situations, there can also be a a 9-9 round or a 10-10 round. I don't remember which one it is, but that almost never happens. Okay, so that's that's quite similar to... to, And look, I I don't mean to compare it to boxing, but a lot of people might be 
of a certain vintage and more familiar with that scoring. So that's why I kind of had you to, yeah, to, well, to put boxing, it that way. Boxing is a 10-point must system too, but they're more likely to... Uh, if you knock your opponent down in boxing, it's automatically a 10-8. Automatically, right. the judges don't get to choose it, so okay. that's a ten eight. And if you drop them again, it might be a ten seven. I'm not sure of all the intricacies, but boxing, the rounds tend to, to vary a lot more in scoring. Whereas in MMA, it's almost always a ten nine unless you really put a beating on them and almost finished them in the round. So okay, so you fought Felipe Linz. Any history with uh, with this gentleman? Uh, you know, did you have a good report on him going in? Uh, yeah, I've never fought him. I didn't have history with him, but Felipe Linz had won the 2018 uh, Professional Fighters League Million Dollar Tournament. So I knew he was a very good fighter. Uh, he, he, Like I said, he won the Million Dollar Tournament in 2018, beat four notable fighters to win that. So Felipe was a, a good opponent I knew going in, and he was ranked quite high in the world. Uh, so beating him in the manner I did is definitely the signature win of my career. What was it like in Vegas with the, the COVID-19 and the whole environment and actually fighting in, in that environment? Uh, well, UFC did everything they did to make sure it was done in a safe manner. We were COVID tested the morning after we arrived, uh, quarantined until the test results came back, and then we could wander around Vegas and do whatever. Uh, after weigh-ins, we were once again tested for covid and then confined to our hotel until after the fight. Um, and then they flew us out the next morning. So we got COVID tested a couple times, and uh, there were very limited interactions during those times. And there was no crowd, so it was only the UFC officials, the doctors, the production crew, no crowd allowed due to gathering laws because uh, of COVID. And, yeah, but it... it the fight still ran, the event ran like a well-oiled machine. It was good. What was it like with no crowd? I mean, clearly you're just used to having that buzz and that reaction, I assume. Yeah, it didn't affect me at all. Uh, the way I look at it, I'm there to do a job, which is to fight and try and beat whatever guy I'm against. It doesn't matter to me if there's a crowd or not. But when you spar and you're practicing and training, when you spar, there's only a few other people in the room. You're not sparring with a huge crowd. It just kind of reminded me of that obviously in sparring you're not trying to kill your training partners but it's it was reminiscent of that it's not unfamiliar if that makes sense okay tanner bozer joining us tonight on inside sports he's telling you about his victory on saturday over felipe Linz ufc fight night in vegas uh now i understand uh and you and you get the win bonus out of this right so but how does this work that is it true the other gentleman still got a better payday even though you beat him yeah, that's true. So most pay structure in the UFC, unless you're one of the very top earners who might be on a flat rate contract, most fighters contract, you have a show purse and a win bonus, and they're usually equal. So uh, the the minimum starting pay in UFC is 10000 to fight and an additional 10000 to win. So you're looking at, you know, 20000 for someone new if they win, whereas Felipe Lins, because he won the pfl tournament in 2018 he was a highly touted fighter and a lot of people in the world were starting to say that felipe Linz was a top 10 guy in the world so ufc shelled out the big bucks to get him to stray from attempting to win the pfl tournament again so felipe Linz was getting 80,000 to show and 80,000 additionally if he were to win as american so it's quite a bit of change oh, he, here right now 
Oh, so he would have got a matching bonus to win. He would have got 80 and 80. Correct. I saved the UFC a lot of money there, let me tell you that. Well, did you ever? I mean, yours is, you don't have to comment if you don't want to, but yours has been reported as 24 to compete and 12 to win. Incorrect. It's 12 and 12, 24 total. You you made 24 total? Yeah. Well, you did save them a lot of money. Well, you well, but But this is the beauty of, of some of the individual sports, UFC, golf, tennis, whatever. Like, it's totally merit-based. If you win, you get more. You keep winning, you get more, right? You don't have a guaranteed deal. True. So the way most deals work, with each win, it goes up incrementally. Again, I'm, I was on an entry-level contract, started off at 10 and 10, and now I'm up to 14 and 14. So I'm on the last fight of my deal. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I might get a contract extension. They might give me a pay bump just to uh, sign with them for an additional three or four fights, or they may make me fight the last fight of my contract and uh, keep me at the same pay or increase me afterwards, depending on the result of that fight. I'm not sure, but okay. I guess it's somewhat uh, merit-based in pay, I, I suppose. Okay, but yeah, no, not not totally. You 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 politely corrected me, which is fine. You're allowed to do that, Tanner. <laughs> So what's next for you? I mean, I know you, you just you just fought. Uh, I know you're always staying in shape. What's in the weeks ahead here? Uh, well, for the next almost two weeks, I'm confined to my condo because that's the quarantine laws when you return from out of country. Uh, besides that, I'm going to get back to the gym afterwards, of course. I hope to fight as soon as possible. I have no injuries, obviously, from that fight. So I'm I'm hoping to fight late summer, if that's realistic. I don't know. There's... Four fights on Fight Island, and a lot of people have probably heard of that. UFC has uh, got an island specifically just for their fights in Abu Dhabi, and they're going to be putting on the next four events there. But I believe those fight cards are almost full. That said, if they had an opening and they asked me to do it in late July, I probably would do it. But I'm hoping to fight in September at the latest, but that's up up to the UFC and my manager to figure out. Okay. Uh, I, I know when we had you on a, f- a few months ago, I think we had you on right at the start of the pandemic. You, you told a little bit of your backstory and stuff. I want to ask you this today. What do you like most about the lifestyle of, of being in, in UFC and just pursuing this as a career? Mm, I like being able to basically just train myself and, and keep, well, not myself, my coaches train me, but to, to train and physically push myself as a job instead of sitting in an office or something like that, working a nine to five. Although days are very hard work and a lot of the things I do are extremely tough. Like there's some training sessions that I'm dreading for days. You know, I know they're going to be so bad, but still it doesn't feel like I'm going to work if that makes sense. So I enjoy my lifestyle. Uh, I enjoy training and fighting. It's for whatever reason, my passion. I don't know. I love it. So I don't know if I can exactly put into words what I love most about it, but I do enjoy what I do. No, that's a, that's a great answer. And from the couple of times we've spoken, you're very well spoken. I can tell you're very passionate. To tell you what, Tanner, when we get through this and, and it's a little easier to gather and to do things in person, I would love to have you in studio for an interview at some point down the road and we can sit and BS and get to know each other and the audience can get to know you further that way whenever it's safe to do so. Yeah, that sounds good, man. I'm down for sure as soon as I'm... Uh not confined to my apartment. Let's set something up. <laughs> right on. Tanner, all the best. Uh, great win on Saturday night. Keep in touch, buddy. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Have a good day. That is Tanner.
the bulldozer bozer great nickname telling you about his knockout win over brazil's felipe Lins on saturday's ufc fight night in las vegas and you're right he saved ufc a lot of money because uh Lins was uh getting a bigger payday if he was able to win that one so good for bozer promising fighter for sure and we'll keep you updated on his career it's quarter to eight Catch up with UFC fighter Tanner Bozer. Things going well for him. Edmonton and Toronto now emerging as the favorites to host NHL games when they name their hub cities. CBA negotiations ongoing. They do have a CBA, but uh, they're looking to extend it. So those are the storylines and the headlines for the National Hockey League tonight. Hockey-wise in Edmonton, this is usually the week. There's a really big tournament going on at West Edmonton Mall. It is the Brick Invitational. This year's edition would have started yesterday and would have gone through until Sunday but unfortunately like so many events on the calendar it uh, it has been canceled and I'm pleased to be joined by the chairman of the Brick Invitational Craig Styles. Craig you're on with Reed how are you doing sir? Good Reed yeah hi how are you doing? I'm doing great thanks for coming on the show tonight to uh, to update the Brick Invitational I, I mean man we, we know how tough and unusual it's been for so many people and businesses and events since this all started happening in March just kind of, if if you can, take us through the the process uh, for the Brick Invitational that uh, ultimately led to to you guys saying, okay, I don't think we can do it this year. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think we reacted really early on all of this, uh, given all of the concern with uh, with COVID and uh, the potential for us not having a tournament, but uh, uh, potentially we would have delayed the tournament, so. We, uh, we met a few times just to discuss uh, what the next steps were. We had to make sure that our, all of our teams were aware of the concern that we had because in April, not everyone shared the same concerns that we were feeling in Alberta when we talk about a lot of our American friends. Um, there was still a little bit of disbelief that we would be considering cancelling this uh, because it was just... Um, and, you know, according to a lot of them, just a, an older person's issue. So, uh, you know, we prevailed and uh, we, we stood by our original thinking that uh, we would um, listen to what's going to happen from the government's perspective. And uh, we had pretty well made our, our mind already that uh, we just didn't feel that uh, by the end of June that there'd be a situation where we could bring kids uh, all together. And uh, we held out a little bit of hope that uh, uh, in case this uh, did pass uh, quicker than what was expected, that there might be an opportunity in August to, to uh, still continue with the tournament. But uh, when the, when the um, proclamation came down that uh, events would be canceled all summer that made it very easy for us to uh, to say that we weren't going to proceed this is i mean it's such a great event and i mean you and, and andy wakeson and so many other volunteers uh i mean it's just a huge date on the calendar and for a lot of people their i don't want to say their lives revolve around it but it's certainly a big passion um and, and a big thing on the calendar so it's tough it's obviously tough for all the athletes and coaches who aren't taking part but a lot of people in our city and edmonton area put a lot of heart into this too 
Yeah, there has been. Uh, there's there's a committee that we meet uh, once a month, and uh, uh, we're always you know gearing up for for this uh, for this week. And um, you know, I think everybody's you know understands why we did it, and uh, and yet I knew there was a feeling of emptiness uh, uh, throughout our committee. So I sent out a, a note today, and um, it's it's amazing how everybody felt a, a loss for for what has taken place uh, and, and it was like you don't really miss something till you don't have it this this would have been uh, right now we would be in our 17th game of the, of the tournament already and uh, uh, it's, it's uh, you know it's, it's different we're still kind of in business mode and uh, not hockey mode and that hasn't happened for 20 years uh, that we will be celebrating a July 1st tomorrow uh, as an actual holiday and not at a rink <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Craig Stiles, chairman of the Brick Invitational, joining us in Inside Sports. Okay, so here's the big question. What happens next year? What's the future here for the Brick Invitational? Well, uh, this is just another part of uh, the great committee we have, and uh, uh, we have a bit of an executive committee and our, our tournament committee, and you know, just from the feedback from the teams uh, and the disappointment and, and just in general seeing how, how many people have been disappointed this year my niece was to get married in in july and had to postpone that and uh i know so many uh people that are raising children and uh, through the high school years and grade 12 not uh, having the final ceremonies and uh we just we just wanted to keep this thing alive and uh a lot of kids uh at age seven and eight uh, they are conditioned to think about you know, if they're if they're really passionate about the game of hockey and and uh, are working on skills, that there's an opportunity to to uh, play in front of a lot of people and play against some of the best players in the world. Uh, the the brick is at that level uh, a really key item for them and uh, the experience. Like you you could you could play the game uh, anywhere, but playing that game in West Edmonton Mall and uh, seeing your parents up there and your families just in shirt sleeves and shorts and cheering you on and being so close to the ice, uh, there's just just something there that you can't uh, duplicate anywhere else. So we didn't want them to lose that opportunity, and we still don't. I mean, we're not 100% sure about this. It depends on some sponsorships and just depends on a few other things. But as far as the rink goes, we have the rink for next year so that we could uh, put a five-game uh, round-robin tournament for the kids that would have played this year and then follow that up with uh, the 2011 birth year kids for a full brick tournament. So uh, we, we've worked out a schedule. Andy's done a great job. Uh, Russell and Sonny and Trevor, that's our executive committee, have worked on this and we uh, we feel that we can we can run two tournaments next year at the mall. Uh, we will use a uh, another arena for seven games just because of scheduling and trying to get the extra game. We were working on a four game schedule, but we just thought coming all this way and playing four games just uh, wasn't going to be the right thing. So a regular tournament for us is a six game tournament. So we went with five games, and all of the teams have uh, responded now. They all want to. Uh, to be here next year starting June 23rd and we'll run the 2010s from June 23rd to June 27th 
and the 2011s from June 28th to July 4th. So a lot of extra work for our volunteers and our committees and, and hopefully a little bit more uh, from the pocketbook from some of our sponsors and uh, we'll, we'll make this a success for everyone. Craig, just just quickly here, because sorry, I'm tight for time, but so oh, that sure. would mean there'd be 14 teams for the 14 teams for the 10 year old tournament, and and sorry, six teams for the 11 year old nope. tournament, or no, four, four, 14 teams for the 11 years or 11 year old tournament as well. But there'll be oh, okay, they'll they'll have a five five game round robin as opposed to a six. I so got gotcha. you. Okay. It's just uh, they'll play four of their games at the mall and one at uh, another arena. Ah, uh, I got gotcha. you. Perfect. Yeah, well, so, I'm glad you're, yeah. they're, they're still going to have that that experience. So, hey, I appreciate the update, Craig, and keep in okay. touch. We're really missing this on the calendar for sure. All right. Thanks a lot for having us on. Right on. That is Craig Stiles, chairman of the Brick Invitational. So no tournament this year. They'll do two next summer. How about that? Good for them. Thanks to Cody Jansen, our studio producer this evening. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Edmonton and Toronto appear to be the front runners to be NHL hubs. Have a happy Canada Day. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.